0: This morning, we are in First Samuel chapter 6, and if you have your Bibles open or a device open, you'll be able to track along with me uh, much better. It is good to be home, and it was good to be up at Donner Lake for a few days with uh, part of the church family that's there, and there's no place like home, and it's, it's good to be uh, home and good to be with you this morning. Well, for thousands of years, humans have creatively tried to figure out how to deal with the problem uh, of guilt. Uh, you, you've been there, uh, I've been there, uh, the uh, Philistines uh, were there uh, where you feel uh, guilty, where you are racked with conviction, uh, they, they were experiencing severe hand of God's judgment and we often try to deal with it ourselves. We try to figure out how to get away from this guilt that we might be feeling, whether it's a genuine conviction or whether it's a false guilt, whatever, whatever the cause is, we often try to work our way out of it by ourselves. A typical, normally normal, fleshly human response uh, to deal with it. Uh, The passage that Sarah just read, they were guilty before Israel's God. They knew this. And so they have come up with this creative and and costly idea of giving gold, rats, and tumors, as well as the ark back to God in this offering and so on. We're going to look at it in a moment. Will giving God uh, gold satisfy their sin and guilt problem? (laughs) I think we know the answer to that question. Others, when racked with guilt, sometimes other people, they look, maybe you've been in a situation like this, you look to do the most painful thing for you possible, something that's going to make you miserable, but something that God would want done, and that's how we manufacture our way out of the guilt. I'm going to go ahead and do this terrible thing, I don't want to do it, but a good thing in God's eyes, and God would want my misery to somehow be correlative to the removal of this guilt that is a game that we sometimes play will doing some good work that causes suffering to the person racked with guilt satisfy the sin and guilt problem i think we know the answer to that question as well and then a final way that we deal with this guilt problem sometimes is to meticulously and carefully obey the word so i'm going to obey my way out of this feeling of guilt that has plagued me and has plagued you will meticulous and strenuous obedience to the commandments of God free you from that guilt racked feeling that we have. Well, we're going to open God's Word now. We've already opened it and heard from it being read. We're going to dive into it and to discover how to deal uh, with this guilt and also to see and know Christ himself. So let's take a look at this somewhat crazy passage. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 6, and let's begin looking at verses 1 through 6. It says, When the ark of the Lord had been in Philistine territory, so the ark of the covenant is in enemy territory, seven months, the Philistines called for the priests and the diviners. So they're spiritual leaders. They call them together. What should we do with the ark of the Lord? The ark of Yahweh, the ark of the covenant-keeping God of Israel. Uh, We're under judgment. What should we do with it? Tell us how we should send it back to its place. So verse 3, they answered. So here's the spiritual leader's response. If you return the ark of God of Israel, do not send it away empty, but by all means send a guilt offering to him. Then you will be healed, and you will know why his hand has not been lifted from you. The Philistines asked, What guilt offering should we send him? They replied, so here's what you're going to send back with it. Five gold tumors and five gold rats, according to the number of the Philistine rulers, because the same plague has struck both you and your rulers. Make models, verse 5, of the tumors and of the rats that are destroying the country and pay honor to Israel's God. Let's pause there for just a moment. I mean, can you imagine the methodology of this? So, we've got this gold, and we need to make some rat t- or some tumor, some human tumor figurines out of gold. So, we're looking for some volunteers who have the tumors. Come on up. We're going to take a mold, send it over to the goldsmith. We're going to get five of those made, and five rats make them gold. And we're going to send these with the ark back to Israel as a offering, as a guilt offering, to deal with the plagues that have come upon this land for a long time in multiple locations, the five cities of the Philistine territory impacting all of the rulers. I mean, I, I, there hasn't been a movie made of this, but that, this would be quite interesting to have witnessed and seen this go on. So back to the text here. We're in the middle of verse 5 perhaps, I've got that circled in my Bible. I think that's an important word here. Whatever your Bible has uh, translating that that idea, that word, that concept, perhaps he will lift his hand from you and your gods and your land. And then this is the wisdom of the spiritual leaders of the Philistines. Why do you harden your hearts as the Egyptians and Pharaoh did when he treated them harshly? Did they not send the Israelites out so they could not so they could go on their way. So they're wanting to learn from what happened. The Philistines are wanting to learn from what happened to the Egyptians. Once they sent the Israelites away, these plagues went away. Don't harden your hearts toward this God. Let's let's sacrifice him. Let's give him a a costly sacrifice of gold and and recognize his authority and his power and judgment. And so that's why they've chosen this strange thing of of rats and tumors to give to him so what was wrong with the philistines offering now you might not expect this answer but i want to say that there's actually nothing wrong with the offering in ancient near eastern cultures and particularly even in israelite culture they gave all sorts of offerings to god and we're going to give them high marks for creativity we're going to give them high marks for for expense or giving of your first fruits, this is of of gold. So I want to suggest there's nothing wrong actually with the Philistines' offering, but something is terribly wrong with their hearts. And their hearts, as if you were here last week, we know their hearts are polytheistic hearts. Their hearts, if you were here last week, they worship the god Dagon, and they worship the god Yahweh, and they worship this god, and they worship that god. They worship all sorts of gods. So they do not know or understand the power and the authority and the dominion of the creator and sustainer of the universe, that there is only one God, and you can have none other before him. So, the, so what they're doing might seem very strange to us on one level, uh, what they're about to do in, in making gold, rats, and tumors as an offering. But on another level, we identify very much with what they're doing. They are racked with guilt. They recognize that the covenant-keeping God of Israel is holy, and that they have offended him, and they want to be right, and what should they do? And they're trying to do this in their own way, and do their own thing. So they have more than a problem with their offering, they have a problem with their hearts. And so we don't have to go to the New Testament, really, to find their problem. If you look with me at Genesis fifteen six on the screen, it's speaking about Abraham. And he believed in the Lord. He believed in Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God of Israel. And it was reckoned, this translation says, or it was credited. However you want to translate it, it was imputed. It was given over. It was put to him as righteousness. Abraham becomes free of this guilt conscience as a human, not because of his offering, but because of his belief, because of his faith. This is how it has always been since the fall. And this is the problem with the Philistines, and as we're going to see later in the passage, this is the problem with the Israelites as well. That they are manufacturing and concocting their own system of how to deal with guilt without recognizing the only way to deal with guilt is by faith in the one true God and trusting in him. Right after this, those of you that know Genesis 15, Abraham gives an offering. And so this offering is a way to worship him, and this offering of the Philistines could be a way to worship him, but it has to happen from a genuine faith and a place of worship and recognizing that there is only one God, and he will have none other beside him, and there are none other beside him. These other gods are false gods. They're idols. So animal offerings, now as we look at the sweep and scope of the Bible, animal offerings and these sorts of offerings ended with the death of Jesus, who is described as the Lamb of God. John 1, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And there is a lot in this little verse that's on the screen. Centuries and millennia of offerings of both animals and grain and smoke and tumors and rats and all kinds of things have been offered up in anticipation of a final offering of an ultimate lamb of God, a a final sacrifice who was no animal or lamb, but was God himself, Jesus, the Savior who came. So this is from verses 1 through 6. Let's come back to our text here uh, and look at Verses 7 and 8. So they, they've got the, the, their molds of gold made, and, and now look at what they're going to do with these offerings. Verse 7 The Philistines, now then, get a new cart ready with two cows that have calved and have never been yoked. Let me just pause here for a moment. So notice that, that this principle of first fruits are giving the best. We, we see it again. They didn't just grab any old cart. They've constructed a new cart for the Ark of the Covenant to be on. With two cows that have calved, never been yoked, hitch the cows to the cart, but take their calves away and pen them up. Verse 8, take the Ark of the Lord and put it on the cart and in a chest beside it, put the gold objects you are sending back to him as a guilt offering. Send it on its way. So we see that they are doing a variety of things. They have created these these gold emblems and the new card and all of this. They have come up with this themselves as a way to rid themselves of the judgment and guilt that is going on inside of them. Whereas we know that salvation is by faith alone and not by any kind of earning, not any kind of good works. So just summarizing a general principle here from all of Scripture, including this text, is that good works are a response to the gospel, not a way to earn it. Good works are a response to faith in God. That's what Abraham does back in Genesis 15. But it's not a way to earn it. It's not a way out of this guilt problem that all of us have been racked by, that all of us have had to deal with. I've dealt with it. You've dealt with it. Um, I, I, I've dealt with with all kinds of challenges uh, on the inside. And you've heard me say this before. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to say it again now, and I'm going to say it again in future sermons, and that most of the biggest battles that we deal with, we deal with some really difficult stuff out there in day-to-day life, but most of the biggest stuff that we deal with, we deal with inside our souls in our minds and our hearts in, in who we are. And one of the ways that we need to deal with guilt, you and I, when we are racked by it, whether it's some sin that, that you've now done for the thousandth time and you are up at night and you are just racked with this guilt or whether it's something new that you've done or whether it's something that you've ceased to do but God, uh, the enemy rather, brings this to your mind, this thing that you did way back then and you just feel guilty for it and there's, and there's just this battle that goes on inside of you. Uh, I've been there. I'm guessing many of you have been there, and and one of the most important things we need to do in those times is to preach the gospel of grace to ourselves. This is where we find escape and refuge, not in doing things or concocting things or coming up with an offering or good works or radical and uh, super allegiance to the Word of God. All of those things have their place, but they're a response to the gospel. They're not a way To earn it, this is such an important thing in our lives that we learn how to preach to ourselves and to speak to ourselves. Uh, I was reminded of the importance of this just the other day. I don't know if you've been watching Wimbledon or followed tennis at all, but one of the uh, men's players, one of the the greatest, this guy, uh, Novak uh, Djokovic, he had a match just a few days ago on July 5th. And he's no number one two three in the world and he's playing a, a a player who's ranked much lower and he's just getting whooped and it's the first one to three sets and he's down two sets you might already gather even if you haven't followed tennis or don't know wimbledon that he he won the next three sets and he i don't know if it's over he's playing this morning um in the championship but afterward he's on the 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 grass court there at wimbledon and this very um a polite and eloquent uh, woman is interviewing him about the turning point in the match because he's getting crushed by this inferior player. Two sets go by, and they have a break. They go to a commercial break, and uh, we don't see it, but the players go into the restroom. And he, you know, is trying to figure out how to be, uh, have a dignified response to her her question of, of when the match changed, and it basically changed when he was in the restroom. And he's describing this And he said, I looked at myself in the mirror and started, he didn't use this language, but he started to preach to himself. He started to talk to himself. He was in a mentally terrible place in these first two sets. And he needed to get out of there. And he was explaining to her this process. And he said this, he said, the inner fight is always the biggest fight that you have to fight on the court and off the court. And this is a, a reminder of the fight that we have to fight as followers of Christ when we are racked with guilt to preach the gospel to ourselves. Whether we're racked with guilt, whether it's false guilt, whether it's genuine guilt, whether it's conviction, whether it's confusion, we have these battles. And we are regularly thinking incorrectly. You are, I am. And we need God's word and his truth to dominate our thinking. And so when you are up at night or whenever it happens, for me it's 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 often at night and, I, and I'm I'm racked with guilt. I need the truth of God's word to dominate and come into my life and, and to speak to me and to transform me. Now, Djokovic was doing this in a more common grace or or worldly sort of way, but we need to do this where we rely on the Holy Spirit and preach the word to ourselves, preach the gospel to ourselves, and if we're dealing with guilt that we understand that we're forgiven because of what Christ does, has done, and now I have hope and I can move forward. You know, I was struggling just a a few nights ago, um, some with guilt, but mostly just with confusion and, and falsehoods, things that I was you know, believing as I'm trying to go to sleep at night. It was, it was actually Thursday night. I'm in my tent up, uh, up near Donner, and uh, it's quiet hours. You know, campgrounds, they have quiet hours. So the trailer right next to me has got a generator going. And it's 10 o'clock, and it's quiet hours, and I'm already in my sleeping bag. And it's cold. I think it was like in the 40s up there. And this generator keeps going, keeps going, keeps going and and it's like like an alarm clock it's like a nuisance to my soul and i'm like thinking yeah he's going to shut this thing off right and about 4300 hours go by and he hasn't shut the thing off i think it was about 20 minutes 30 minutes and i don't want to get out of my warm sleeping bag you know and and i'm angry and i'm and so i do i get out of my warm sleeping bag And do I go to the campground host? No, I just just knocked on the trailer. Um, Can you please turn your generator off? I didn't say it quite like that, but I said that. That was kind of a joke. I said it very loudly. And I go back to my tent. Guy runs out, shuts his generator off. This isn't really about that. But following that, I, I was just, you know, had like a dark night of the soul. I'm not going to go into those details, uh, but you've been there where you're believing things about yourself that aren't true and doubting this and doubting that and just not thinking clear-headedly, not thinking like a gospel-rich person. And I struggled that whole night. That was just kind of an external external nuisance that if I had been in a healthier place, I just would have gone right back in and gone to sleep. But spiritually, I wasn't in a healthy place. And I'd like to give you a story that, you know, I got, you know, my Bible out right then, and I got in a healthy place and went right to bed, but it was one of those battles. It wasn't really till the next morning. I cut I my battle out, and it was a new day. I got my Bible out, and, and, and the battle was overcome, and the joy of the Lord returned, and, and I started to think rightly. And one of the uh, verses I was reading that next morning, early that next morning, he fired up his generator, by the way, before uh, quiet time was over but I'm not going to complain from the pulpit. All right, so let's move on. Um, so the next morning, Psalm 62. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from Him. That's what I needed that, that night. I didn't have it retrieval. I had all of these lies and, and, and things going on in my brain. He only is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. I was shaken the night before. I was shaken in my soul. Why does the psalm say this? Why does it say I shall not be shaken? Is it because the psalmist is never shaken? No, it's because he's shaken and he needs to be unshook and he needs to know that God is with him. So we need to learn to pray and read the psalms. I shall not be shaken. On God rest my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge, is God. What I'm trying to say, church, is that when we are wracked with guilt or some kind of falsehoods or some kind of lies or whatever is going on inside of us, we don't need to concoct some crazy scenario or some really difficult good work that I hate but that God is going to like. I don't need to go, although it's awesome to be the most obedient you can to God's word, that is not going to be the solution Alone, we need to trust him and we need to believe the gospel. And those truths need to permeate your thinking and my thinking. So if it is guilt that you're dealing with, I wasn't dealing with my salvation. I was dealing with other things. But for many, that is what's, am I really a believer? Because I've done this again for the thousandth time or whatever it is. But now shifting gears from just general battles to the battle for avoiding God's judgment, that's the context here that the Philistines find themselves in and the Israelites find themselves in. This is the kind of verse you want to preach to yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He made Him, God the Father made, God the Son, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we, followers of Christ, believers, might become the righteousness of God in him. This happens by faith. It doesn't happen by perfect obedience. You and I don't have it. It doesn't happen by getting our our best gold out and giving it to the church or giving it to God. It doesn't happen by creatively doing this certain thing, and that's going to get away from my guilt. It is the gospel alone in the God alone who created and sustained and saved the world. And we have to preach this to ourselves when we are struggling, when we are in battle. But that is not what the Philistines are doing, and that is not what the Israelites are about to do. They're concocting their own ways to deal with this problem of guilt. Let's come back to our text here and and, uh, finish up in a couple texts. So I think we're at verse 9. Is that right, church? Are we at verse 9? So let's come back to uh, verse 9. So they've come up with this idea to send it back, send it on its way, but there's more to the story. Let's look at 9 to 12. But keep watching it. If it goes up to its own territory toward Beth Shemesh, then the Lord has brought this great disaster on us. But if it does not, then we will know that it was not his hand that struck us and that it happened to us by chance. They know it's not happened by chance. The reader here is supposed to read into this. These are polytheists who are thinking, well, maybe it's this God that's judging us, or maybe it's this God, maybe it's not that God. They know in their heart of hearts, it is the God of Israel, the covenant-keeping God, who has brought this judgment upon them. But they are you know, they have a different theology. They have a problem with their hearts and their minds. Verse 10, so they did this. They took two such cows and hitched them to the cart and penned up their calves. They placed the ark of the Lord on the cart And along with it, the chest containing the gold rats and the models of the tumors. Then the cows went straight up toward Beth Shemesh. This is a miracle. We'll talk about this in a moment. Keeping on the road and lowing all the way, they did not turn to the right or to the left. The rulers of the Philistines followed them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. So this is telling us about who they are and that they are thinking of these other gods as well. So, I I don't know cows very well. Some of you do. But I know enough about cows, know enough about animals in general, that if you take the babies, you take the calves and you stick them over here, and then you move the moms away from the calves and you put them over here, you know what's going to happen. Where are they going to go? They're going to go to the babies. Is that right? Can I get a confirmation from someone who has a cow? Or had a cow? This is what happens. So, they have set this up Like, the bar is set really high here. Like, we're going to set this up, and it's almost 100% that these cows are going to turn around. They're going to do a U-turn. They're going to go right back to the pen where the calves are. That's where they're headed. But if by chance they head toward Israel, then we know that this is what's happened. And that's exactly what happens. This is a supernatural event. But the Philistine spiritual leaders follow them all the way up there. It's many miles. And they don't move at all. I mean, so again, I'm not a cow expert, but I don't think cows that are untrained generally go straight for miles and miles in one direction to exactly where you're hypothesizing that they're not going to go, and they're going to now go there, moving all the way, kind of recognizing, I think, what the text is saying there is they're recognizing they're younger here, but we're going there, miles and miles away. So this is a supernatural event that has taken place. And it is to remind us of the way to deal with guilt is not through fanciful corrections and offerings and working our way out of it. It is in God alone. And from our perspective, from this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus, it is through the gospel that we find relief from the guilt that we are wracked with. So we made it through uh, 7 through 12. We're going to skip over the next ses- next section, 13 through 18. So the- they get there to Israel. The people are working, the Israelites. And what the reader is expecting here is for the Israelites to do everything right now. We've seen the Philistines do everything wrong. And so now the- they've gone, the-, the Ark of the Covenant, the cows, they've gone into Israelite territory. The Israelite people are there, and we expect them to do everything right. They do an offering. They, they actually offer those cows. They, they use the wood. So that's the part we're skipping over. And then look what happens. We're going to finish up looking at verses 19 through chapter 7, verse 1. So look at 619. So God struck down some of the men of Beth Shemesh. So this is a literary surprise here. They've gone to Israel, the people of God, and he struck them down, putting 70 of them to death. Because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. The people mourned because of the heavy blow the Lord had dealt them. So there's been blows to the Philistine people, and now there's blows to the Israelites. Verse 20. And the men of Beth Shemesh asked, who can stand in the presence of the Lord? So the reader now is seeing that the Israelites do not have a good theology either. No one can stand other than repenting and believing in Yahweh like Abraham did. No one can stand. But they too are plagued with this wrong mentality of how do we deal with the guilt? Who can stand in the presence of the Lord, of this holy God? To whom will the ark go up from here? Notice this. The Israelites are thinking very similarly, although they're not outwardly polytheists, they are thinking very similarly to the Philistines. What are we going to do? Where are we going to take the ark? It can't be here. Seventy of us died. Verse 21, then they sent messengers to the people of Kiriath-Jerium, just like the Philistines. Let's get let's get it out of our, not of my backyard, let's get it somewhere else. Saying, the Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to your place. one. so the men of Kiriath-Jerium came and took up the ark of the Lord. They took it to Abinab's house on the hill and consecrated Eliezer, his son, to guard the ark of the Lord. Side note here, it remains in this place for 20 years. We won't see this move again until eventually Second Samuel 7 as it moves to Jerusalem. But some reflection on, on the end here of this unit of Scripture for today. What's going on here? Well, a few things. Look on the screen with me at Leviticus 1. So if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without def- defect. And what sort of cows did they just sacrifice? We skipped over it, but I think I told you. Was Were you listening? What cows did they sacrifice? The mothers. The Israelites know the word. They know what they are to and what they are not to sacrifice. But they are confused, just like the Philistines, and just come up with their own ideas, ignoring the word of God. Look at Numbers chapter 4. Uh, But they shall not go in to look on the holy things. This is referring to the holy things inside the Ark of the Covenant. Even for a moment. What's the last three words? Lest they die. And what happens here? Seventy of them die. So the critic might say, what kind of wicked God is this? The right perspective of reading to this is, God was gracious and he did not wipe them all out for the sins of some. But he took only 70 for their unbelief in general, which was manifested in ignoring God's word that you don't look into the Ark of the Covenant. What is in the Ark of the Covenant? Hebrews 9 tells us, The Ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the Covenant. Now, at this point in Israel's history, it was likely just the commandments. The stone tablets of the covenant were in there. But what was clear and what was known is that you do not look in there, and they look in there, and God brings judgment upon them. Like the Philistines, they're dealing with guilt on their own terms, ignoring God's word. So, there is a lot in this strange passage. For us to learn from in 2022. At first reading, what does this have to do with my life in 2022? But there is a lot because like them, you and I are wracked with guilt or confusion or lies or all kinds of things. And we need God's help to win those battles. And like them, we manufacture all sorts of ways out that are not in alignment with the word of God. I want to close today with one passage from the New Testament. Most of you are familiar with it, so I'm going to move through it quickly and then I will pray and we'll be done. So, the reason I'm going to, if you want to turn with me, you can, but you don't need to, just listen to Mark 10 and verse 17, is this rich young man is wanting to deal with the guilt problem that he has. He's incredibly rich. And he is, has a bothered conscience by his richness. And so he comes to Jesus, and he falls on his knees before him. And he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The careful reader of scripture alarm bells go off with those words, what must I do to inherit eternal life? There is nothing you can do to inherit eternal life apart from repenting and believing in the one true God. Jesus has done it for you. We've already heard this in confession. That would be the short answer to this question. But Jesus usually doesn't give short answers. And he usually tells stories. And Jesus, unlike us, knows this man's heart. And I want to suggest that the heart that Jesus knows inside this man is a man who worships a false god. It's not Dagon, like the God of the Philistines. It is the God Mammon. It is the God Money. And Jesus knows this is his idol. This is his functional God. So it's in light of that truth that Jesus responds to him. And he says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. And then he answers the question in the opposite of the way that we would expect. We would expect Jesus to say, believe. Repent and believe. John the Baptist has been preaching it. It's back there in Genesis with Abraham. Abraham. I'm about to be uh, killed and raised on the third day. I've been preaching about that, prophesying about that. That's what you would expect. But he says, you know the commandments. And then he selects commandments. Strategically, commandments that this rich young man has, in his own mind, kept perfectly since he became a man in that culture, a young man. Do not murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't give false testimony. Do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So Jesus quotes these commandments to him selectively. Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Wow. Imagine saying that to Jesus. He just quotes these commandments. Yeah, I got these. Since since my is, is it bar mitzvah? Since my bar mitzvah. I've kept those. I'm in. That's what he's saying. To Jesus but the reader can see there's doubt when he says all these implication there are others that haven't been mentioned Jesus response, you know his response one thing you lack go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then you have treasure in heaven then come follow me the critic would say Jesus is teaching salvation by works and you give away what your, your treasure and you live simply and you have salvation and and this is the way of salvation this is the gospel of Jesus to give away wealth to those who need it and to make everyone poor. It's a a Marxist gospel or some kind of gospel, whatever word you want to put on it. That's what the critic would might say to this passage. What Jesus is saying is that your God is your money and you haven't repented and believed in me alone. And so he calls him, knowing his heart, to sell everything that he has. That's what repentance would look like for this man to surrender his idol. Does this mean, if you're out there and you're rich, that you have to get rid of your riches? Well, perhaps. If they're your idol, then yes. The, The question is, is the money that God has entrusted to you if you are rich, and on a global scale, all of us here, almost all of us here are rich on a global scale. So all of us, a few exceptions here today, are rich. So this passage speaks to us very loudly. And we need to hold our riches loosely. If we hold them like this, you need to sell them and get rid of them. That's what this passage is teaching. That's what repentance looks like. If your riches are like this, and God is your God, and Jesus is your Lord, then you don't have any problem with this passage. You You don't stay awake at night reading this passage. But that was not this man. Because his face falls He goes away sad because he had great wealth. And and the implication is he's unwilling to part with that wealth, his idol. So Jesus looked around and said to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He goes on later to say all things are possible with God. And it is possible for the rich to be saved. Whether they surrender their riches or not. This man needed to surrender his riches and he didn't. I spent more time on that than I want. Are you guys still with me? We're just about done. The reason I went there is to show that in the New Testament people are trying to find their way out of the guilt that they are dealing with in all sorts of ways. Instead of the gospel, hey, I want confirmation that I've obeyed the commandments sufficiently that I'm in Jesus. That's a way to paraphrase this parable I've just read, the story I've just read. God. Loves us. His son died for you. The only way to get rid of that guilt wracked feeling that you have, whatever its cause is, is through Christ alone and the gospel. It is good news. It is merciful. And he looks for us to surrender any and every idol that we have, whether it's literally, or whether it's in our hearts, or whether it's both. This is the way to peace and to joy. And to not be racked in my brain as I'm trying to fall asleep at night. It is a relationship with Jesus and preaching the gospel to ourselves and believing that. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that obedience is a response to the gospel. It's not a way to earn it. We see that in this passage in the New Testament we looked at, and we see it also in the communities of the Israelites and the Philistines in 1 Samuel. Free us from the very contrivances we come up with to try to set ourselves free in all sorts of ways, in ways apart from faith in you and rejoicing in what you, Lord Jesus, what you have done in our place, taking our sins upon yourself, being raised on the third day, and forgiving us simply by repenting and believing in you. Help us to live in this way, and with your joy, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.